Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Amen. Uh, let's just pray. Father, we uh, thank you for your word. We pray now that uh, we would be able to focus on what you're saying and that you would uh, open up truths for us and help us to uh, uh, see how your word connects with our world and our lives. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, during this week, I had cause to uh, go and see one of our neighbours, had a practical reason for doing so. And I wanted to uh, uh, just uh, want to actually say that I'm getting a lot of feedback from this microphone up here. Jacob, do you reckon you could tone that down a bit? Thanks, mate. Thanks very much. Sometimes it just doesn't... Uh, I get the ringing back here, but you don't get it there, and it's uh, really hard to, um, uh, to, to preach when you've got this ringing happening in your, in your, through the microphone system. So let's start again, shall we? Uh, I wanted to say that during the week I had uh, a very practical reason to go and talk to one of my neighbours and I'd never met this neighbour before. So I turned up at her front door and I pressed the doorbell and I waited and I waited. Uh, and I pressed the doorbell again and I waited for a couple of minutes before I could, could hear her on the other side. And she opened the door and she apologised. She said, I'm so sorry for taking so long to get to the front door, but this old body of mine, she doesn't go so fast anymore. <laughs> and she started opening up to me, telling me about how her uh, uh, various medical problems and uh, how, how various parts of her body weren't functioning the way that they used to. And we carried on this conversation and guess what book of the Bible do you think was going through my mind? Ecclesiastes. 
And then we kept on talking and she opened up and started telling me about her views on the world and she was expressing her frustration with so many wrong things going on in the world, so many wars, so much injustice, people not treating each other all that well and guess what book of the Bible is going through my mind? The book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, we continued this conversation. Uh, I got to talk to her about the Lord and before I left, I made sure I actually talked about the matter that I actually uh, turned up for in the first place, the matter which had brought me to her front door. And uh, I was able to say to her that uh, I, I, can, I can connect with her on those issues, that uh, the issues that she was raising are the issues that I experience and these are the issues which are very relevant to people that uh, we mix with every day. And these are the issues that have been thrust before us as we've been looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. I mean, uh, I don't know if you're feeling this or not at, at this, your stage of life, but um, you get to a point in life when your body just doesn't work the way it used to. Uh, I turned 50 and I had a problem with my eye, went to the optometrist. The optometrist said, yeah, you know, this usually happens to men when they turn 50. Happened to me on my birthday. My body clock is winding down. And we experience the, uh, the cycle of, uh, of, of, of everyday life, sometimes the drudgery of everyday life. We talked about the, uh, uh, the experimental rat on the, uh, tread on, on the, on the wheel, that uh, you get up, you go to work, you come home from work, you rest, you sleep, you get up, you go to... and so on. And you and I, even as believers, you know, we experience this kind of stuff and we too see the evil in the world, that this world just ain't the way that it should be. And so Ecclesiastes has raised some good issues, but you don't want to just leave it hanging there. Uh, what do you do with these issues? Indeed, what do we do with the book of Ecclesiastes? Because uh, throughout this series, we've seen that there is a key to understanding and to resolving Ecclesiastes, and that key is Jesus. But what would you do with Ecclesiastes if you believed in Ecclesiastes, but you didn't believe in Jesus? Now, that's the predicament that Jews uh, find themselves in, isn't it? Uh, Jews have not yet come to trust in the Messiah. And so I found it was interesting to explore uh, what do Jews do with Ecclesiastes? And uh, this is what they do with it. <clears throat> in the Jewish religious calendar, there are three uh, prominent uh, feasts or festivals that they celebrate uh, every year. Uh, one of them is, of course, the Passover. Another one is the, the Festival of Weeks. And another one is the Feast of Tabernacles. I want to talk about the Feast of Tabernacles for a few moments because uh, it was a feast that was established in Exodus chapter 23. And it still happens. It still happens. It happens uh, in late September and, uh, in, in, in into October, and it goes for seven days. And uh, it's during that time that the Jews 
recognise two things. First of all, they remember that for 40 years their forefathers wandered round and round and round and round in the desert, in the wilderness, and that they lived in tents. Now, a tabernacle is just another word for tent. So you could say this is the feast of tents. And they lived in tents as God caused them to to wander around in the desert. You know, if you went from a, in a straight line from Egypt through to the Promised Land, it only take you a few days, but they went around for 40 years. As one generation died before the next generation could actually enter into the Promised Land. Now, secondly... In Deuteronomy chapter 16, God said that at the Feast of Tabernacles that they should celebrate and they should give thanks to God for the harvest, uh, for, the, uh, for the wheat and for the fruit of the vine. And so it's to be a harvest festival. <clears throat> and so as Jewish communities remember the wilderness wanderings, when their ancestors wandered aimlessly in the desert, living in temporary housing and dying, what book of the Bible do you think comes to their mind? It's the book of Ecclesiastes, actually. And as they enjoy the harvest, you know, which is the fruit of their work, the fruit of their labour, uh, so that they can eat and drink and uh, find some degree of satisfaction in the fruit of their labour, what book of the Bible comes to their mind? It is the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, in fact, to this very day, during the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, which, as I say, will be in September, October, uh, in synagogues around the world, during the Sabbath on the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, the book of the Bible, which every Jewish community reads, is the book of Ecclesiastes. That's what they do with Ecclesiastes. And you know what? It's a good thing to do. It's a good thing to do because as, as, as Israel wandered in the wilderness, they learnt the lesson that Ecclesiastes teaches and that is that life is frail, that life is just a, a handbreadth, as the psalmist says, that life is just a puff of wind. Life is short. Have you noticed that? Remember when you were a kid? We've got a few teenagers here. <clears throat> when you were a kid, how far away did Christmas always seem? A long way away, right? Christmas always seemed to be a long way away. But these days, as you get older, you think, Christmas? What? Didn't we just celebrate that again? <laughs> you know, time speeds up the older you get. And uh, we realise that life is short, life is frail, life is temporary. It's just a puff of wind. And in the desert, they learnt what Ecclesiastes teaches, that ultimately life and the whole meaning of life is about obeying God. But the lesson of the wilderness is also important during the harvest. Because... When the wheat is abundant and when the wine is flowing, you know, when we can eat and drink 
and enjoy and find satisfaction in our work, you know what? That's the time when we're tempted to believe that it's all about our achievement and not, a, not about a gift that has come from God. Proverbs, I think it's Proverbs 31, there's a guy called Agar, and he, he says, Lord, give me enough so that I won't steal, but don't give me so much that I'll forget whose hand it came from. And uh, these are some of the themes from Ecclesiastes. And so to read this book during the Feast of Tabernacles, well, that's actually a pretty good thing. But I want to say it's not the best thing. It's inadequate. It's shortchanging the hearer. Because Ecclesiastes is meant to rattle us. It's meant to shake our foundations. It's meant to tell us that without God... Everything is, and what's the word that keeps on coming up through the book of Ecclesiastes that begins with an M? It is meaningless. The teacher starts by saying, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. He gets to the end of Ecclesiastes and he says, it's all meaningless. And that's what Ecclesiastes is meant to teach us, that without God, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, what, no matter how we've enjoyed life, no matter what we've achieved, that without God, because death is the destiny of every man and the living should take this to heart, that everything is meaningless. And so, I think this is how we've got to use Ecclesiastes. I had a friend who was an atheist and he was a scientist. Now, what's the, what's the, uh, the best gift that you can give uh, an atheist friend? Well, in my mind, I thought the best thing I can do for this guy who's an atheist is invite him to church. See, that's what they need, isn't it? Uh, atheists claim to be you know, free-thinking people who are not uh, bound by dogma and tradition and so on. Well, if they're so free-thinking, invite them to church. It's the best thing you can do for an atheist. And uh, as he came to church, he sat through week after week a series of sermons on Ecclesiastes. And as he did so, the layers of false hopes that he had were just stripped away from his heart and he actually came to find true meaning in Jesus Christ. He said to me afterwards, he said, you know what, I've been a scientist for such a long time and I've believed that, there's been no, that God does not exist and I've believed that science can actually solve the problems of humanity. And he said, now I realise that that's just not true. And he came to put his trust in Christ. Now, when we put our trust in Christ, does that mean that we no longer experience the frustrations of Ecclesiastes? Well, no, it doesn't. And a great passage in that regard is the passage that was read to us earlier on, I believe, and that's from uh, Romans chapter 8. And I wonder if you might open up your Bibles at Romans chapter 8 for a few moments. Uh, because here Paul says that our life with Christ is going to involve suffering. Now that's an interesting issue because there are some uh, preachers who seem to be preaching that if you put your trust in Christ that 
all of your problems are going to be over. Ever come across preaching like that? Uh, You know what? It's a half-truth. Because you put your trust in Christ, you start living God's way, not your way. And because God's way is better than your way, life is going to actually improve. It's going to be a bit better. Uh, And it's also true because ultimately, if you put your trust in Christ, your problems will be solved in the long run. But it's a half-truth because we still suffer. And as Christians, we suffer many of the problems that are common to uh, to, uh, to, to uh, all of humanity, to Christians and non-Christians. Um, and if you have a look at verse 20, Paul there says that the creation, which we're a part of, is subject to frustration. Now, this word frustration is a great connective with Ecclesiastes because the key word in Ecclesiastes, the word meaningless, Uh, uh, transferred through to New Testament language and New Testament thought is this word that's here translated as frustration. Indeed, in the the LXX, the the Septuagint, uh, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, uh, the word that is translated here as frustration uh, the, the word that they translate as uh, from meaningless, uh, the, the word that they translate meaningless is the same word that's used here as frustration. And so uh, we experience this frustration uh, in this life because there is still this seemingly, seemingly meaningless, never-ending cycle of death, of, of life, of decay, and so on. And in verse 20... Paul implies that the reason that the world, the creation, is in frustration is because of the one who has subjected the the creation to frustration. And that one is God. God has subjected the creation to frustration. And he's done so because of human sin. Uh, When Adam and Eve turn their back on God when they fell, uh, then suddenly, for Adam, his work was going to be toil and struggle, that the earth was going to produce thorns and thistles. For Eve, even childbearing was going to be a struggle, a painful struggle. It It is God's response to our rebellion against him that the world, that the creation is in frustration. See what what else Paul says about the creation. In verse 21, the creation is in bondage to, and what's the word he uses? It is in bondage to decay. In verse 22, the creation is groaning. And guess what? So are we. In verse 23, How does Paul describe people who put their trust in Christ? People like you and me? Well, he says that like the creation, that we too are groaning. Do you feel that way sometimes? Last week, after the nine o'clock service, I was shaking hands at the front here as people were filing past. 
<coughs> and one of the elderly ladies in the congregation, she's, got this, she's bent over, she's got this walking stick, and she's walking slowly up to me and slowly past me. And one of the other ladies, who's not quite so frail, came alongside her and said, would you like me to give you a hand there, love? And she turned and she looked at her and she says, no way, I'm a new creation. <laughs> I can do this. <laughs> Anyway, we struggle with uh, with with our with the, the problems that uh, uh, that other people experience. Even though we are in Christ, we struggle with the problems of of sickness, of old age, of death, and of grief. But as Christians, we also struggle in ways that other people don't struggle. Um, in verse thirty-five of Romans eight, there Paul alludes to the uh, the persecutions that we may suffer because of the fact that we love uh, the God whom our world does not love. And people will take that out on us. We will be persecuted for our faith in Christ. Um, And as Christians, don't we also suffer in a sense because we should be people who are grieving over our sin? I mean, we, we know that Christ has died to pay the penalty for sin. And, and in, in verse 33, we can be assured of that. Uh, we, we, have, we ought not to let anyone, uh, least of all Satan, accuse us of still being guilty for our sin, uh, given that Christ has paid our debt for us. But shouldn't we hate the sin that's within us? Shouldn't we hate our pride and our greed and our lusts and whatever, and our daily struggle against temptation um, and the grief that we experience or we ought to experience when we fall to temptation uh, means that we ought to be longing for that day when sin will be no, will be no more. You see, uh, the world, uh, people who don't know Christ and who don't love God, they don't struggle with their temptation. They don't grieve when they fall to sin. Uh, indeed, many people um, relish in it, enjoy it. But we grieve, don't we? Because we know something of the holiness of God. We know what it cost God to pay the penalty for our sin. And so we don't want to sin anymore. And we grieve over that. And we long for, we look forward to that day when God will actually renew us and we'll be free from that. And so we suffer in that sense. Do you long for that day, by the way? You see, the meaninglessness and the frustration of Ecclesiastes is resolved when we put our trust in Christ, but it is a now but not yet kind of resolution Um, The resurrection and the promised coming again of Jesus means that we have a sure and a certain hope. So that in verse 18, you see the reversal that happens because of the gospel. In verse 18, suffering will give way to glory. In verse 21, the frustrated creation will become liberated. In verse 24, our bodies will be redeemed. And so what does Paul conclude? Well, in verse 25, 
he says that we should wait patiently for that day. Now, hope is a powerful motivator, don't you think? Um, especially when the thing that you're putting your hope in is a dead certainty, when it's guaranteed. Um, I find that uh, when I'm standing in a queue, I can get very... Um, I can get impatient when I can't see where the queue ends. Uh, but if I can see where the counter is and I can see how many people are in front of me, that gives me the ability to be patient because I know that I'm going to get to the front. Um, perhaps a, uh, a better illustration of that is those... You know when you phone up... I phoned up Centrelink last, last week or a couple of weeks ago. You ever tried getting onto the phone to Centrelink? You're probably going to know what I'm talking about here. Uh, I phoned up, and I got the answering machine. They said, look, our operators are very busy at the moment, etc., etc. Please, please wait. They put on the music and then the ads for Centrelink and so on. After 20 minutes, it just cut out on me. Just, it just went dead. So I phoned up a bit later and, uh, you know, same deal. Waited for about 20 minutes or so and then it just cut out. I think I phoned up another time and I just waited and waited and I gave up and I thought, lost all hope. I thought, this is never, I'm going to be here all day. Uh, and, I, I, and maybe the phone's busted or something. I, I hung up and eventually uh, I got through to Centrelink and they were pretty helpful. But all in all, I calculated I was on the f waiting for about one hour. Sometimes you phone up these places and they tell you, you know, the machine answers and they tell, the machine tells you how much they love you and uh, value you as a customer and uh, that they're busy at the moment, but, you know, and they say to you, um, you're the fifth person in the queue. Now, what does that do to your sense of patience or impatience? For me, that gives me the hope that uh, the, the end is near and then they tell you you're the fourth person in the queue Third, and I don't lose patience uh, because you've got that. Now, I don't want to push this illustration too far because the machine may not be trustworthy. <laughs> and I want to say that you, we're giving, give, we have patience when we've got a hope that is based on something which we know to be reliable. Uh, a number of years ago, I worked as an accountant in a office building in the central business district of Sydney and you know what used to cause us to lose our patience? The elevator. It took so long to arrive all the time. You know how they resolved the problem of the elevator taking such a long time to arrive? They stuck mirrors uh, around the walls in the foyer and that resolved the problem. <laughs> because people are vain. <laughs> All right, okay. Let's move on, shall we? <laughs> okay, so uh, when you've got a hope that is certain, then that gives you the propensity to wait patiently. And we've got that kind of hope, friends. God has given us a hope that is guaranteed because it's based on a promise that comes from God. And God is trustworthy. 
And we catch just a glimpse of that hope in Revelation chapter 21. I wonder if you might open that up and we have a bit of a read of that, shall we? Revelation chapter 21. Let me read to you uh, what John saw in his vision from verse 1, where he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first earth and the first for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And here's what I like. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. This is a certain hope. This is a promise from God. And its trustworthiness is rooted in the character of God, whom we know we can trust. Now, do you long for this day when sin and all of its consequences will be done away with for those who trust in Christ? There'll be no sin, no decay, no worn-out bodies, no suffering, no sickness, no death. Life for us now is still a veil of tears. And so even as believers, we still deal with some of the frustrations of Ecclesiastes. But we don't deal with them in the way that unbelievers do. Because we know that it's not permanent. We know it's only temporary. My elderly neighbour, she has a restless heart. She knows that her body doesn't move as fast as it used to and that things are only going to get worse. I was talking to someone during the week and uh, I invited them to a Christian activity and they said, um, it was an elderly couple, and the lady said, well, yes, we'd, we'd like to come, um, but my husband's just been diagnosed with dementia, so look, when he gets better, we'll come. I don't like the chances of that happening. And uh, this is the reality. Things are only going to get worse. And for my neighbour, she wonders... She looks at the world and she knows that things aren't right. What does she need? She needs hope. She needs hope that's based on a promise. A promise that is true. And so I was able to say to her, look, I agree with you. My body too is starting to show signs of winding down. Has been for a while. And I too grieve because of all of the wrong in the world. But I was able to start to share with her about our Lord. 
Because we know that Christ has died for sin, that he has risen, and one day he's going to come back again. And for those who trust in Christ, there is hope, there is forgiveness, there is life that is everlasting, and that is our future. I am uh, intending, uh, Lord willing, to drop around to that house again during the week sometime and uh, just pay a visit because I'd like to pass on to her a little booklet. Have you seen this one before? It's called Ultimate Questions. I, this is a brilliant book. It's not exactly pocket size, you can't put, but this is a brilliant book. It's, it's brilliant because, well, I don't know if you're like me, but I like colour photos. I like big print. Um, but it's brilliant because it deals with the provocative questions that Ecclesiastes has put on the agenda for us. Uh, let me read to you just a, an excerpt from the introduction and see what you think. It says, Life is full of questions. Some are trivial, some more serious, and some tremendously important. Even as you read these words, you may have questions about your health, your financial situation, your job, your family, or your future. But the greatest, the ultimate questions are about God and your relationship with him. Nothing in life is more important than this. Good health, financial stability, secure employment, a contented family and a hopeful future are all things that people want, yet even these are temporary and eventually pointless unless you have a living relationship with God, one that is clear and certain and will last forever. And so in the following pages, you will discover why such a relationship is so urgently needed and how it's possible. And the booklet uh, talks about creation and sin and Jesus and us and what it means to put faith in him. It's a great book. Do you think, do you think this is a good book to have around at home? I think it is. This is a great book to have on hand so that when you get into conversations like the ones I've described, you can say, hey, I've got something that you might like to have a bit of a read of. And so I've, I've gone and ordered about 30 copies of it from Kurong, and I'm going to make them available next week if you'd like to, to grab one. Uh, not just for yourself to read, but as a tool that you can give to others. Because friends, they need hope. One of the great leaders of the Christian church in the early century, in the 4th in the and the 5th centuries, was St. Augustine of Hippo. It's a great name, isn't it? And in his classic book, which is called Confessions, he famously penned these words about God. He wrote, Thou hast made us for thyself, and our heart is restless till it rests in thee. Have you experienced that rest which Jesus has secured? Well, if so, then let's help others to experience that rest as well so that they can put their trust in the Christ who died for them and have a sure hope for the future. Well, that's it from Ecclesiastes, friends.
Um, hope that's been helpful. Um, why don't we just pray, shall we? Thank you, Father God, for raising these questions and these issues with us through Ecclesiastes. And we thank you so much for the resolution in Jesus Christ. Father, we uh, rest in the peace that he gives and yet we too experience the uh, uh, frustrations of this life as we too live in this veil of tears. But we look forward to and we pray for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ when all these matters will be dealt with once and for all and we will enjoy the heavenly inheritance that you have secured for us. And Father, uh, make us passionate, uh, passionate to help others to get to know Christ. Grant us opportunities and may we seize those opportunities. And so we ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.